Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake like a boss the best lineman on the radio well the only lineman on the radio it's game time game time we're ready the Gabe Coon Show 92.9 FM ESPN how about it off and rolling Monday November 13 2023 welcome in to the Gabe Coon Show I'm your host former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman Gabe Kuhn on X at G underscore Kuhn 71. I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Kuhn show. That would be Connor Dunn. On X at C Dunning 99. Connor, how was your weekend, brother? Good? Great weekend. Good to hear. It was a great weekend for Memphis sports. We can I talk have about to some say, wins. man. I know, like, <laughs> with the Grizzlies, the way it's been sort of tracking, with what we know about the Tigers in the early season and sort of matchups like that on the road, SEC opponent, usually don't get wins like that, but you got to win. And then the Tigers football, you played Charlotte, you barely pulled one out. And also women's soccer. How about that? Win in the NCAA tournament. There's a lot. There is a lot to discuss. And it's kind of hard to know exactly where to start. But we have three hours to talk. On the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN and yours truly. Going to open on the weekend at Memphis. Tiger basketball W, Tiger football W, Memphis women's soccer W in the NCAA tournament. Grizzlies go one and one like we all expected. We expected it to be the other way around, though. We figured, okay, maybe a win versus the Jazz, loss versus the Clippers. But it didn't go that way. 105-101 over the Clippers. And a loss to the Jazz where I don't know if it galvanized his team. But we saw some fight there from Taylor Jenkins at least after the game because of the Jaron Jackson foul situation, him getting ejected for his second technical. But he called it effing atrocious. $25,000 into the can. I think he can afford it, though. I think he'll be all right. Uh, But we'll open up on that uh, throughout the show. We do have some firings in college football to discuss. One being Zach Arnett. That'll be in the Blitz. Uh, Mississippi State fans have been calling for this uh, just about since the SEC portion of their schedule started. And I kind of understand it. I kind of don't, though, at the same time, considering this was a placeholder guy. And he hasn't really been given a whole lot of time to go make anything happen. I mean, he had to take over in the offseason because of the death of Mike Leach, and he didn't really have a full offseason to uh, figure it out. But they're going to move on to other things. Uh, The bomb of the week was Jimbo Fisher, though, Connor. I think we've been on that one for quite a while. I've been on it for the last two years, but it is kind of funny to see them just, I mean, this, this week was one of their most dominant performances of the year, and it was against Mississippi State. 51 points on the board, and then he gets fired, Jimbo, after that. And this year was supposed to be the year of saving because he brought in Bobby Petrino. But A&M is going to have a uh, hefty buyout to pay, and we'll discuss that throughout the show. Trip around the NFL will be about 5.30. Lots to discuss there. Lots to discuss. AFC North has been very good, but Bengals go down and Ravens go down in the exact same week. Uh, Small talk at 5.50. The Blitz. Around 6.30, talked about that. Zach Arnett will be uh, a topic of discussion. As far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins, per normal at 5 o'clock, Jeff Calkins Show on the Daily Memphian, and then 6 o'clock, Harold Grader, the Associate Executive Director of the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, and we have no shortage of things to discuss. Now, starting on the weekend in Memphis, I, I have to start with, in my opinion, the most important win, and not because of, you know, it's it's not – 
because it's early in the season and you, you want to see this team get galvanized and you want to see what this team's actually going to look like. But the amount of hope that Tiger basketball is selling is very palpable right now. The amount of uh, things to look forward to with this particular team, I think after that win against Mizzou, it's very apparent that they could be a terrifying team. 70-55. to 70-55. to 55. And, and the, they were phenomenal in the second half. First half, they lost 33 to 26. Second half, they came out and they were just clicking uh, on all cylinders. And it, it was phenomenal. Um, and mostly on the defensive end. I'll talk about the offensive end in a second. But Memphis held Mizzou to five field goals in the second half and 19.2% from the floor. And they also scored 44 of their 70 points in the second half. Defensively, it, it, it stood out, Connor. That second half was what you expect from a Penny Hardaway coach team with the amount of talent, length, athleticism they have. It all came together in that second half against Mizzou. Yeah, they were extremely physical with Missouri, and they couldn't do anything about it. Having the veteran leadership of Javon Quinterly, it just seemed like he was in a killer mindset in that second half, and he would just refuse to let Missouri back in the game. Every single time it felt like they had any momentum, he would just pull. A, he would just have a play that was, to be honest, uh, Pretty great. So yeah, it was. 100%. I'm not sure it could have gone better if you're a Memphis Tigers fan. I guess the first half you could have buried him a little bit more, but that second half really, really gave hope to me and I think the entire fan base about what this team can be moving forward. Well, and Javon Quinterly ended with 18.7 for 10. From he was the tremendous. Field, two for four from three. He had eight rebounds, five assists. He controlled the game. game. It he was, really he felt did, like he, he was did every, the game. He did everything you want him to do as your lead point guard. Where in the past you've had to deal with Alex Lomax and a rotating, uh, you know, Tyler Harris at times. You have to deal with rotating uh, on-ball guards at that point guard position. Some of which were not really prepared to run the point. You have a guy who just sets the table with experience and can go score at the same time. And, he, and he's understanding of what a road SEC environment looks like. We should have understood that this was going to be what he looked like at Mizzou. But we finally see it. He had experience, and he showed that. And and my favorite highlight, dropping the Mizzou defender and just one in the eye hole. That was beautiful. That was beautiful stuff. They had some highlight plays as well. Um, but outside of that, uh, another guy that just uh, jumps off the page for me in particular, um, and, and it's weird because I don't think he's in his best shape. Uh, he struggles to get up and down the floor at times. But Jordan Brown I'll, I'll use the word again. He makes a palpable. Like, you see the difference with him on the floor, what you're able to do. He ended up with 12 points, 6 for 10 from the field in only 17 minutes. Had had five rebounds on the way. That is a guy that they have not had the luxury of having in the past. You could bring up Jalen Duran, but it took him a while to get going because he was a freshman. He finally understood it by the end of the year, and you saw that that team was peaking at that same time. You have that guy from the beginning of the year. If he can stay healthy – uh, Jordan Brown makes a massive difference as well. And, you know, they still started Malcolm Dandridge and Nick Jordan in that starting lineup. But at the same time, I think it's an escape from the past with Penny Hardaway. He's staggering minutes a little bit more. Like, even the, the top five guys we expected to, to sort of start and play a majority of the minutes still are playing the majority of the minutes. That's Caleb Mills, Jaquan Walton, Javon Quinterly, David Jones, and Jordan Brown. Those are the top five minutes getters, even though not all of them started. And I kind of like that. That's an escape from the norm of the past with Penny Hardaway that's gotten him in trouble at times. Yeah, you know, it's. I was still a little bit surprised to see what that starting lineup was, considering it was such a big game on the road in that type of environment. I'm not sure if they're going to make a change moving forward. I think it's pretty clear that every like when you see the, that five together, you know that it's their best five. Caleb Mills, Javon Quinterly, Jaquan Walton, uh, Jordan Brown and David Jones, like that's that's the five to me. Like that's the one that you want to get going. So I would like to see them at the beginning of games, but to your point, they definitely staggered the minutes in a way. And Malcolm got in foul trouble, so you know Jordan Brown got in there a little bit more. But it just felt like the team was much more effective when those five were on the floor together. And because you can still stagger their minutes even when they start, that's why you know I would like to see them start. I think it just I don't yeah. because it feels like the Tigers have but, been getting off to these slower starts, and then the second half is when they really start rolling. And it's because that five is playing together more. So just start with that team. Roll. Yes, I, I I guess so. But I can also see the other side of that where you want to have energy coming off the bench. You want to have some explosive scoring off the bench as well, but I I, I, I understand the point you're making because that, that group ran a lot in the second half. Right. And they, that's they, when they, the Tigers they by were far able played to, the most minutes. Yeah. That's, that's when the Tigers really took off. Now, 
what was the one thing we were talking about in this Mizzou matchup? The Tigers were going to be ex- be able to exploit their front court height, hundred percent. And Jordan Brown and Malco and Nick Jordan and all these big guys, they out rebounded Mizzou forty seven to thirty three. And then when you look at points in the paint, thirty eight to twenty. And if that, I know that Mizzou is a smaller team, but it's an SEC team. They can buck up a little bit. They're well coached. Once you get into the AAC portion of your schedule, once you get into some matchups against these teams in conference, that front court depth, that front court size, that advantage you have in experience is really going to take off. It's it's gonna it's gonna be fantastic to watch. Yeah, it's you know, I don't want to be overconfident, but I feel as if that front court can really dominate in yep. in the in conference. It's just their their physicality and size and playmaking ability from those positions is something that I'm not sure the other teams are going to be able to counter outside of FAU. So it's going to be interesting to see moving forward, but. I mean, it it felt damn good, man. I, like, can we just talk about that for a second? Yes, like how good yes. it feels early season, to have an early yes. season win like on this the road, on the sold road. Out crowd. Team looked great. Yes. It looked exactly as you had hoped it would. Javon Quinterly was fantastic. Uh, Walton was scoring all over the place. David Jones, you know, second had a much better second half. It was just, it was everything that we've been talking and, about. We finally got to see early in the season. We've been talking about all the, the last few weeks about how they have to play their best basketball early and, in the season because of the things that Penny Hardaway has said about the schedule, which are all true. And being able to see it and talk about it on a Monday after a Friday huge game, you're just like, thank God. It, what, what also <laughs> it feels, feels nice. What feels nice. They, they took care of business. What also feels relatively nice is they didn't play their best game. That no, first half still, was yeah, not good. Still things they and they didn't on. have to save themselves by shooting a crazy percentage from, from the field. Defense they were still 43% from the field. Uh, they were 7 for 19 from 3. The 3 ball wasn't like the, the big savior in this game. Like, just to see them be able to do that. And, like, David Jones, he did not have the greatest game, but the impact he made on that game was pretty pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. He only had 10 points. He was 4 for 14 from the field. He knocked down 2 of 5 from 3. That was nice. But 10 rebounds, 2 assists, only the one turnover after his first game against Jackson State where he turned the ball over, what was it, five times? I mean – this is the David Jones we expected. Maybe a little erratic on the offensive end, but everything else he's going to be a helper. Yeah. And 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 he was he was great. Jaquan Walton. I I I want to go back a little bit in the Penny Hardaway era cuz I am I I do have this question. Is there is there a guy from the three-point line that you can remember where like the amount of confidence you have with him throwing one up there? Like Jaquan Walton is up there. As far as confidence, when he puts on up from the three-point line, contested, uncontested, you feel like that thing's going to drop. Yeah. He has been phenomenal, and that's going to be a, a very useful piece for them going forward. Now, uh, with this win, I think they did get a little bit of attention from the national media. Um, like John Fanta had them in his top 25. Uh, Gary Parrish, who obviously used to have this this time slot, put him in his top 25 and won. Now, the AP top 25, they did not get in ultimately, which – I find a little bit strange. I, I find a little bit strange. Um, but they are first in others receiving votes with 53. So they're 26th in theory if you want to do that whole thing. This team has definitely showed the national media what we have been raving about this entire offseason at Mizzou. They showed them, hey, we have experience. We can get down in a hole early, still come out of it, and make another team, SEC-type team, a tournament team last year, Look like absolute garbage. It was it was it was fantastic. And Ken Palm, they're twenty sixth as well, and I think that they're just trending in a great direction, even two games into the season. Yeah, it, the rankings thing is annoying, but to me, it's it's just a momentary you know speed bump until they're in that top twenty five. Because I do think that everybody that actually pays attention like big time to college basketball, the Tigers put them on notice this weekend because it was such a big win on the road. Missouri's a good basketball team, you know. They may not be great. They're not as good as they were last year. They've lost a couple of guys, but they are still a very talented team. To go on the road in a sold-out crowd like it was in that type of environment and to beat them by 15 after being down in the first half, it's extremely now, impressive. Now, if you wanted to hate on the win, you'd say Mizzou was picked ninth in the SEC and Don't they're care. not picked to be that good. But going on Don't the care. road against a team like – we've seen this team early in the season lose to like Ole Miss when Ole Miss was picked even lower in the SEC. So to see it all come together this early in the season, to gel in the second half – the way they did, I thought that was impressive. One thing I do want to see going forward, though, and, and I mean, this is if I'm nitpicking, I want to see a full game play. I, like, they have been a second-half team 
in my opinion, just looking at the first two games. Play a full two halves. Play a first half like you play the second half, and you'll be able to cruise the wins a lot easier than you did even against Mizzou, even though that looked relatively easy. Yeah, and you know, in the first half against Mizzou, some of it was just that they were missing bunnies. They missed a couple bunnies that would have made that game a lot closer looking in the first half. So yeah, come out, get started a little bit early. That's why I said that you might want to tinker with the lineup a little bit. But to be quite honest, you know, it's been working. They're two and zero. They beat a team on the SEC team on the road by fifteen. So you know, what do I know? All right, now the next thing that, that did get me excited, I know a lot of people have been talking about, you know, they're, they're winning, but it's just not looking all that fun. It's still not that fun. But 8-2 and two is 8-2, and two, and 8-2 and two going into a game against SMU on ESPN2, 11 a.m., last home game, is about as big as, as we've seen since the last time SMU came to the Liberty Bowl in a, in a late-season matchup. And that obviously was game day. This one likely won't be game day. I can tell you for a fact it won't be. But... Tigers get over top of Charlotte, 44-38 to in overtime. Tiger football, that is. And I I have a lot of things wrong with the game, but I want to start with the positives. You're 8-2. and two. You're looking at this game against SMU. I, I, I know there's two things that I will stand by, having played the game, having played at the University of Memphis. One, it's always hard to win in FBS college football. It's always hard to win. Has this team made that, made that very apparent? Absolutely. Yes, they've played close games against bad opponents. But it is always hard to win. But two, I think, and I, I don't know where you stand on this, Connor, this, this team has earned some eyes and some respect late in the year. AAC championship potentially on the line. If they get into the AAC championship and win it, you talk about New Year's Six, it's a light, a light year for the, for the group of five. Again, I understand that a lot of people have not necessarily enjoyed the eight and two, but I think you need to enjoy it while it's here. I think you need to enjoy it while it's here. You have a home game against SMU to potentially put yourself over the top. That would be a marquee win. I think this this team has earned a little bit of, you know, love from the city, ultimately. Eight and two. I agree. You know, it it's been ugly. It hasn't been pretty, but they're winning ball games. They're going out there and they they're winning these gritty ball games. They're making it, you know, exciting for they're us, giving us all heart attacks little, by the end of the they're game. They're making it a little too interesting. A little bit too interesting, but you know, I agree with you. They're eight and two. That's that's the fact of the matter. We can talk about all of the things around that, especially if the, the SMU game doesn't go the way that we want it to. But at the end of the day, right now they are eight and two. They have faced adversity. They've been winning these games. And, you know, Doc Holliday, I saw him on Twitter talking about it. Last year, they would have lost these games. These are games that they would have yep. lost last year. So it does show growth moving into this season that they are 8-2, and two, that they've taken care of business in the fourth quarter many a times. Um, it was a weird game, though, in the fact that, like, we were talking about the secondary needed to step up and get turnovers, and they certainly got them. They, they got did. four. But, but then they, they couldn't, couldn't stop the run. They couldn't. What is going it was I- It was the weirdest, like, what the hell's going on here? They finally got the secondary together, but it's like they forgot to do the game planning for the running defense. And it's like, oh, come on. So they're they going to make the, it the, easy, the but worst, at least they won. The worst part about it is I think defensively I had higher hopes because they weren't able to throw, you know, Charlotte's a terrible throwing team. Terrible. Trexler Ivy terrible, is absolutely dude. positively oh my gosh. awful. But Hashawn, what's it, Hashawn Wilson? That was his first. Those were his first twenty-four hell? carries of the year. What Just the so hell? Clear, he hadn't played. <laughs> he, they've had some injuries. They've had some guys nicked up in that backfield. This was his first action of the year. Twenty-four carries, one hundred and ninety-eight yards, and three tugs later, eight point three per. They per scored carry? thirty-eight. That's points. crazy. They scored thirty-eight points. That's a and problem. I, like, I, I've been worried about the secondary, but damn. And like, if you just really break down exactly what Charlotte's game plan was. We're going to run heavy sets at you and run it right down the middle, right at the heart of your defense. You're going to have to stop it. And then, as a little bit of a wrinkle, we're going to get play action to the tight end in the flat. And their tight end, um, Colin Weber, ended up with a 117-yard gain because of just throw, little tiny throws into the flat off of play action. That should be very easy for a defense to catch on to and stop. And this defense... Couldn't tackle, was out of position constantly, and uncomfortable with runs right at them. I, I, it's, it's strange how much they've regressed from the first half of this season. I don't, again, I don't understand it. And I don't know if, if you're Matt Barnes and you're trying to scheme up and figure some things out about this defense, I don't know where you start because they've gotten gassed throw, uh, by, by quarterbacks. Uh, in the South Florida and North Texas games in different ways. In the North Texas games, I think that 
their DBs just didn't make plays in the ball. South Florida, they were out of position. And then you go against this team in Charlotte, and they just ran it down your throat the entire game and proved that they were tougher than you. Their offensive line beat your defensive front. I, I don't know where you start with this defense, but this is, you can't, <laughs> with how leaky they are, it could get ugly against SMU unless they make some drastic changes this week during the week in preparation. Because it really feels like the offense has kind of gotten their thing together. Like it really, like Seth has been playing much better. The running game, they've really has been able to establish with Blake Watson. The well, receivers. It, it, this game up. was a little. It was different. a little different. They didn't really but run like, the ball. What I'm very saying is well. like they've been able to score 40 plus multiple times. Like I, I think one, two, three, four weeks in a row. You know, and it's just that we're waiting for the defense now. It's early in the season. It was, well, we need the offense to step up. And this up. is and now sort of, I mean, this well, the defense if, needs if to we step really up. go back to preseason and how we were talking about this team, we say, okay, the first part of the season, defense may pace the offense. They're ahead of the offense, and then the offense will take over. I didn't think we'd have the defense completely falling off the face of the earth, though. There's still talent on that side of the ball. There's still, you know, there, there, there are still guys that make plays. Chandler Martin is a hell of a player. Number 11 who brought back the pick six on the screen play that was the, a massive momentum shift and a massive play in that game when they were down. So they still have guys. They just have to make plays. They have to scheme up better and find a way to not let themselves get beat in every facet. The other offense runs anything at them, and it's just uncomfortable. You do not feel any level of confidence with this particular defense at this particular moment. If you take away one of those four picks – this game goes completely different, and I, I brought, I, I tweeted this out, and I, I, I think a lot of people latch onto this. I think this team, like the best way I can put it, this team asks the football gods before the game. They go, "How many mistakes can we make and still win the game?" They get their answer, and they make that many mistakes, and they still scratch out a win, because I, there was the double pass in the red zone, multiple missed throws by Seth Hennigan. I know he's banged up. But missing high on all of these different throws, the one to Kobe Drake after the double pass should have been a touchdown, walk-in touchdown. Um, they just make mistake after mistake after mistake and somehow pull out wins. And it, none of these games should be that close. I'll be the first to admit that. No, we, you should we not, wanted them to bury Charlotte. That was you the shouldn't whole play topic a three-point game against North week. Texas. You should not play a nine-point game where you give up fifty points against South Florida, and you you should not be playing into overtime. With a three and seven Charlotte team, I completely admit that. But they make mistake after mistake. The execution lacks. Some of the play calling lacks at times in pressure situations. But they have pulled it out. They have pulled it out this year. And in one score games, they're now three and zero. So here we are. Here we are at eight and two. And I, I am. I'm looking forward to the game against SMU. They've earned but it. They, but they've earned it's, it they've might be earned the, the platform. <laughs> but at the be. same time, some serious changes need to be made in game planning for them to actually compete in that game. And I do get the sense that this team so far this year, if you just look at their losses, it's not they, we're in embarrassing losses against Tulane and, uh, Tulane and Missouri. But Missouri, number nine in the AP poll this week after hammering Tennessee. Tulane is in the top 25. Like, those are not all that, you know, you weren't overly down about the, the final score of those games. They seem to play up and play down, though. Constantly to their competition. Well, then let's hope they play up against SMU because, and that's why and you're the at whole, home. There's... Well, and that's why the whole conversation about Memphis Tigers football right now is, you know, it's kind, it's tough to have with some people because I understand that it's an unsexy eight and two, but it's eight and two. You know, it's like you, I, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I guess you know what I mean. It's like yeah. we got to eight and two. They're better in the fourth quarter than they were last year. The offense has improved over the season. The defense has gotten much worse over the season. <laughs> that all of that is true, and they're still eight and two. Yes. That's why it, it's it's a weird when you talk about it. I'm I think that they've earned the moment, but I also understand why there's Where not a ton of excitement behind. They're, yeah, they're not, because most of the game you're just like. Oh my God! 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 They won! What the hell? It's like a Tony Allen three pointer every single time. Oh my God! What's happening? And then he makes it, and you're thrilled. And it's and that's what it's like every single time you watch the Memphis Tigers play football. Yes, it's stressful as hell. Please beat SMU by multiple touchdowns so we don't have to do this. Please. Also, we know it's going to come down the fourth quarter. There was another mistake made that I'd sort of left out. Mitchell Gildahouse late in that game with the. Personal foul where he pulled a guy off the pile. I got a lot of questions about that. Number 78, he played left guard. He had to enter in there. They've had some injuries with Jonah Gamble and other guys. Um, but he pulled a guy off the pile. The guy flopped. People were asking me about that. You cannot pull a guy off the pile. That has been a 
a point of emphasis for since I was there. Since I was there in 2016, I think is the first year they started doing that. You're not allowed to pull guys off the pile because they saw in the past that it leads to a lot of different sort of scuffles after the play. Now, did the Charlotte player flop? Absolutely. But it just mistake after mistake after mistake, and somehow they're pulling out these wins. Somehow. But it sets up a massive week. And obviously they're going to need some help along the way. They're going to need uh, Tulane to handle business and beat uh, Texas San Antonio. Um, And they're obviously going to need to handle and beat SMU and Temple the rest of the year. But the AAC championship, I think, is very much on the table. I think most people project Tulane to beat uh, UT San Antonio. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll, We'll stay abreast of the whole thing. Um, also, elsewhere in, uh, in in college football, I have to bring up a couple of things. One, your Tennessee Vols, have you checked out? Are you? Are I'm you, checked out. You're checked out. Um, that was. It's not what you want. Listen, I, I I have I have struggled with this because one, I think that Mizzou is a very good football team, and and I want to give. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. As much credit to Cody Schrader as humanly possible, because he was phenomenal. Phenomenal against Tennessee. I mean, when you just look at his final stats – 205 yards rushing on 35 carries. Good Lord, that's a lot of carries. But one touchdown there, and then he caught five receptions, 116 yards. Cody Schrader is a transfer from Truman State, from freaking Truman State in Missouri, and he has stepped up, and he is abs- he's leading the SEC in rushing right now. You have to give credit where credit's due to Cody Schrader, that Mizzou offense, for being able to pace. And I think you have to give some credit to Brady Cook as well. This is a guy coming into this year no one really believed in. They're talking about potentially moving off of him to, you know, different types of quarterbacks. Sam Cook, their backup. Um, like, th- this is a guy also who fought injuries. Remember that against Memphis, where there was a question if he was going to play or not. So you need to give him credit. He's been phenomenal so far this year. 17 TDs to 6 INTs, 2,700 yards. But on the Tennessee side, couldn't run the ball. You had 23 carries for 83 yards. No touchdowns there. And then Joe Milton... I don't think he's a bad player. I don't think he's bad, but there's something amiss. There's just something not there that Hendon Hooker had. Hendon Hooker, when you asked him to make a play, he would go make a play downfield and put you in a great situation. Joe Milton doesn't have that same ability. He misses guys on easy throws. His stat lines always look okay, but that offense just does not hum and pace itself the way that it used to. And I think a lot of it is opposing defenses are saying, Joe, you're going to have to beat us. I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna let uh, Jalen Wright, Jabari Small run all over us, have a hundred yard games. Joe, you're gonna have to beat us. And his stats never look bad, but when you actually watch the game, that offense, it's just not. It's not a Josh Heupel offense. It's not high powered, and it's not making the explosive plays that it, it it requires. Quite frankly, it's not nearly as dynamic as it was in the past when you had Hinden Hinden Hooker back there, and that's why you know coming into the season. I kept saying, you know, Joe Milton is who he is. He's not going to uh, all of a sudden have some magical season for Tennessee. They had to adjust the offense to him because he is not going to win you a football game. He can get you there and let your defense get it, maybe the special teams get it done, Run but he's not going to do anything. Bit. Yeah, he's not going to do anything to put you in a position to win. He's just not going to necessarily lose you the football game. You know what I mean? He's kind yes. of a so he's kind of a net neutral there at quarterback position. And I just think when you're playing teams in the SEC like Tennessee does, you have to have a plus player there at the quarterback position. And that's why, you know, this year 
it is what it is. It's just they've had a lot of injuries this season. They're dealing with it. I'm I'm hesitant to really, you know, to really judge Heupel's offense because it is Joe Milton right now that is running it, and they do have those injuries there. So next year, though, is going to be a big year for Heupel because coming into the season, yep. a big worry was, is his offense starting to get stale? We've seen in the previous places he's been, the first like, one or two years, big, big numbers, and then it starts going down every single year after that once the other teams are getting tape. Can he be dynamic? Can he switch things up? We'll see next season. He's going to have a big recruit at the quarterback position, so it's going to be a big, like, hey, you got to step up and show us something this year. All this being said, I still think Heupel's been very good for today. Oh, 100%. Like, I don't think you should be out on Heupel, but I no. will say there is there is some concerns. I always had concerns about him taking over at Tennessee because I saw him at UCF. His offense is very very reliant on tempo right. and the same deep route combinations. And once you get that on film for a couple of years and SEC defenses start to catch on and they start to understand who you are – does that offense look the same? I do think also you just need a quarterback who can execute and place the ball at a high level. And I wonder if Nico Iamlevea is that guy because they still have hope for the future. This is not like no. Joe Milton's gone, who's going to replace him? I think most Tennessee fans are ready to move on to Nico, ready to I see what so. next year holds. If you ask, to be quite honest, if you ask most of the fan base now, they would say you might as well play him against Georgia. See what happens. Yeah. But you don't want to get hurt. I don't want him to get hurt. <laughs> it's just, it's, just, it's going to be. It's, Although Georgia hasn't expecting... been unbelievable at getting after the quarterback. No, this year. they're still ten and zero though, and Tennessee yes, is. <laughs> they're very, and I'm they're not... coming off their most dominant win of the yeah, of the I'm year against Ole Miss. A, a huge game uh, this week for from Tennessee. Yeah, but Georgia was phenomenal this week too. Yeah, fifty-two seventeen. I don't. They heard the talk a little bit, maybe. Well, Georgia is the last two years, or the last three years, two and a half. They have consistently. Gotten into these one-score games, you know, against Mizzou last year. They were really struggling against South Carolina, and they sort of paced their schedule. They play up, they play down, depending on who they play. And people will have these doubts. Oh, well, when they get into a big matchup, how are they going to fare? When they play another top-ten team, how are they going to look if they're struggling with South Carolina and Mizzou? They always have a way of reminding you, don't they? 52-17. to Ran the ball all over Ole Miss. Ole Miss never stood a chance. I understand it was there, but they clearly had something to prove. They clearly are trying to show, hey, we'll peak at the end of the year again. We're going for a three-peat. We're going to make something happen. Now, um, last thing here before we transition to a little bit, get to a break, transition to a little bit of Grizzlies. A&M wins 51-10 to over Mississippi State. Both the coaches get fired in this game. But bye-bye to Jimbo Fisher. Bye-bye. It's been a good time, Jimbo, while it lasted. Or not so good a time if you're an A&M fan. Um, but the only place to start with the Jimbo Fisher firing is the buyout, right? I mean, that's it. Within the first 60 days, $19.4 million. Within 120 20 days, they need to add $7.27 million on top of that. And then from 2025 to 2031, they will owe Jimbo Fisher $7.27 million a year for a completely failed experiment. For an experience that never got you the results that you wanted, even though you were throwing billion, millions and millions of dollars at it. NIL, getting good recruiting classes, thinking that you had the guy at quarterback when you didn't. It all lands you, what, $76 million worth of a buyout until 2031. Now, I, they're going to be able to pay it. It's AM. They have money. But who do they turn to next? Like, I... I I don't know I don't know who goes in there and immediately picks up where the recruiting left off with Jimbo and then actually coaches them on the field at a high level. I mean, we do have to remember when Jimbo was hired, that was massive. People were definitely behind that move. This was a guy who won a national championship before. Who else has that type of pedigree that you can bring in and immediately get the results that you want with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the conference? Like the first name that comes all that has been thrown out there is Dan Lanning. But Dan Lanning, Phil Knight are very close. Phil Knight is one of the big reasons, obviously, founder of Nike, right? We get all that. Phil Knight's one of the big reasons that Dan Lanning's at Oregon right now. You see what he's doing with that Oregon team. They have money. They have ability. They're going to the Big Ten. They're going to get a bigger check. Will he want to leave there? Then you go down the list and you look at a guy like Lane Kiffin, who didn't really want to answer questions about the A&M job. I don't know. I don't know. I think you have to be very careful about going to A&M and realizing that their expectations with the money they throw at it are far too high. When you look at their trophy case, it's bare. It's empty, right? But their expectations are still high. 
Do you want to jump away right this second from Ole Miss where, I mean, let's be honest, eight wins after eight wins, a chance to compete for the SEC West every once in a while, that's what they want. They want to be top 15 every once in a while. They want to show that they have some power. That's all they want at Ole Miss. Do you jump into the expectation game at A&M with all the money they would they would throw at you? Now, obviously, I think Jimbo's going to do okay with himself, even though he's fired. He's still getting $76 million. Maybe Lane Kiffin thinks the same way, but that's another guy that you could look at. And then, you know, the third guy, and the, these you get into the non-sexy options. Mike Elko at Duke, what he's been able to do at Duke is phenomenal. He's a former D.C. there before he took the job, uh, at, well, former D.C. at A&M, before he took the job at Duke. Maybe that's something on the table. Jeff Trailer from UT San Antonio. He's got the big contract to be a group of five coach, but they can give him a bigger contract to be a power five coach. Those are the non-sexy options. Texas A&M has a hell of a hire on their hands, though. You do not want to miss again. You do not want to have to deal with a big-ass buyout like Jimbo Fisher Again, without yielding results that you ultimately want. Without being in that college football playoff group in a 12-team college football playoff. You have to nail this hire. And Ross Bjork, I know, wants to nail this hire because ultimately I, he wasn't you know, the, the final say. So and um, bringing in Jimbo, he didn't make that hire. But this next hire can make or break any AD's tenure. If you're an SEC commissioner or an SEC athletic director and you miss on a football hire that could always spell disaster on the back end so ross bjork has to be very very careful about how he approaches this but jimbo fisher finally done after flailing around quite frankly at a&m for some years let's go ahead and grab a break grizzlies went one and one over the weekend and let's discuss 92.9 fm espn Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Feel as they're appointed duty. They keep trying to tell me here. Back rolling to the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Now, I know a lot of people have already reached out to me. And when I said 3-0 in one-score games for the Tigers, I meant 3-0 in conference. 3-0 in conference and one-score games are 4-1 overall the Memphis football team is. Um, so let me go ahead and clarify that off the top of the segment. But before we get into the Grizzlies, I have to tell you about Robert Irwin Jewelers and their Black Friday sale. It's a tradition. Buy gifts that give gifts. Robert Irwin Jewelers' annual Black Friday sale is going on right now. With every purchase of $299 or more, you get a gift. Get great gifts with purchases like buy a gift and get a gift at the Black Friday sale. Bigger, brighter diamonds, better prices. Like buy her a diamond flexi bangle bracelet for $14.99 and get a Yeti cooler or an Xbox Series S. Two-carat diamond uh, right-hand ring only, $19.99. And get a free Samsung TV. Half-carat diamond hoop earrings uh, that's a set and 14-carat yellow gold. These stunners feature 18 brilliant cut shimmering diamonds only $6.99 and get a free apple air tag or wonder boom 3 portable speaker three carat lab grown diamond tennis bracelet $28.99 get a playstation 5 with it they try to take care of you this is the time to get engaged designer engagement rings are, are at great prices at robert irwin jewelers and always available in every single budget buy with confidence with the rij way 46 years in business they've been doing a long time they have the meant to be guarantee you can buy your loose diamond and custom made Engagement ring from Robert Irwin Jewelers, and you'll have 365 days to return it. They have free ring sizing for life. If it gets too snug, too loose, go in there, and they will handle that for free. Diamond trade-up, this is one of the greatest things they offer at Robert Irwin Jewelers. When you decide it's time for a new diamond, bring your original diamond back to Robert Irwin Jewelers. Pick out a new, bigger diamond, and you'll only have to pay the difference. And then, of course, they have the free jewelry spa service for life to keep that jewelry, fine jewelry, Bright and sparkling. The annual Black Friday's Black Friday sale is going on right now, so see store for details while supplies last. Free financing, bigger, brighter diamonds, better prices. Robert Irwin Jewelers or online at rijewelers.com. Now the Grizzlies are now two and eight. They went one and one in a different type of way. I thought, you know, jazz was a big opportunity for them. Called it a must-win on Friday. They did not win. They did not win. Because I thought going to LA and dealing with the Clippers and the Lakers back to back. Would be a big problem, but they end up beating the Clippers last night, 105 to 101. But if I want to go back to Friday, 
I think the biggest thing to take away is Taylor Jenkins really got after it, man. Really got after it. It was a nasty loss. It was not fun by any stretch of the imagination. You saw the same things um, sort of get the Grizzlies that, that happened in the, the first game. They did not cover the three-point line very well. They really struggled. Um, 18 for 37, the Jazz were 48.6%. I know they were about 52-53 in the first game that they won 133-109 um, at, at Utah. Um, but the same things ended up getting after them. But more so than that, Connor, you've been talking about this, and we know that you sort of have that Prince of Positivity hat when you bring it up, but at the same time it is, it is holding true and it def- definitely rung true in that game against the Jazz. The whistle is just brutal. There's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, when you look at the, the Jazz, 29 free throws to 13 for the Grizzlies. And then the situation that ultimately led to the second technical for Jaron Jackson Jr. and a ejection, that was, it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. And I agree with the sentiment from Taylor Jenkins after the game where he said it was effing atrocious. He told everybody to buckle up. He went on his big rant. But Jaron Jackson Jr. got fouled two times two possessions in a row going up. He finished one. He didn't finish the other, but they did not give him a foul call. He was frustrated. He was very annoyed. He went at the ref. Then apparently Taylor Jenkins, the only explanation that the referee crew gave to him about why he got the second technical is that Jaron Jackson Jr. rushed the ref. That's ridiculous. That's insane. It's insane. And I That's think insane. there is a point where Jaron Jackson Jr. has been an all-star. And I listen, I know that, People get annoyed with, you know, star calls and everything else, the, the reputations that get built throughout the NBA, and, um, you know, stars get more calls than others. There needs to be some respect yes. for Jaron Jackson Jr. that I just don't think is there. He's a defensive player of the year. He's an all-star. He just doesn't quite get the respect that he deserves for the caliber of player he is from a refereeing crew. I mean, the whistle for the Grizzlies all season has been dreadful. It's been one of the worst whistles in the NBA. Now, to be quite honest, though, I've watched a lot of NBA games this year, the referees across the association have been dreadful, yeah. awful. I mean, we saw it. La- we saw it yesterday. A, a huge dunk by Anthony Edwards, and he got teed up. Like, what are we doing? It, it's, it's they have got to get it together. These phantom calls that are happening. They keep calling these flops that are just not happening. The technicals all over the place. It's ridiculous. They have got to get it together. The free throw disparity. When when you just when you go look at game to game to game, so many teams are like doubling up the other team that they are playing in, in free throws, and that's just. I'm sorry, that can't be happening in every single game that we're watching. It's ridiculous. Yeah. They have got to get it together. I have been a proponent of the referees need to have press conferences for a very long time because we keep getting the two-minute reports and all this stuff coming out. Well, they missed this, and that they missed that, and they missed that, the and they missed that, and they missed that. If you're missing all these calls, have a meeting. Yeah. Get it together. It's ridiculous. It's ruining watching these basketball games. I'm tired of it. I'm yeah. tired of the referees stepping in and making it about themselves every single time. I'm so happy Jenkins finally lost his mind. To be quite honest, it was a little bit too late. I'm glad he did it, though, because yeah. I said on Friday, I said a player's going to get thrown and out, also, and, and of course he got thrown also, out. Also, instead of taking the $25,000 fine, he should have got ahead of it, and he probably should have had that type of reaction on the floor. He was freaking out a little that's bit, what, but that's, at the same time, I'm you know, glad he did it. Fact, Listen, I'm glad he did it. It was great. It, hopefully it galvanized the team. The team needed to see that. What it really did is that you, if you talk about to everybody that talked to the team in the locker room after that, it took pressure off of them. They, they were able to be a little bit more loose because they knew that Jenkins went up there and he did that for them, so they were able to release some anger that way, but we talked about it Friday. I said a player is going to get thrown out if he keeps yep. let, making the players defend themselves. And, and to be quite honest, that's what happened. He's got to do that more on the court yes, on the because court. part of on part the of the Grizzlies not getting these this whistle is him. It's him. It's yep. him. I mean, I was there for the Heat game. Spolster lost his mind every single time they got a foul called on them, even if it was a good call, bad call. He lost his mind. He's just got to start losing his mind a little bit more, yep. it, it, respectfully. <laughs> you know, respectfully lose your mind a little bit more. I'm glad he did that Friday. But it was, uh, it, it was needed. It was necessary that he did it Friday. If he didn't do that Friday, it was going to be concerning. So I'm glad he did. Yeah, now a couple of things from over the weekend in that one-and-one one stretch there and those, the, the, the one-and-one split. Um, Luke Kennard's starting to play way better ball. Luke, Luke Kennard is, is definitely shooting the ball at a different rate. He was 4-for-5 in the win against the Clippers. Um, so that, that was very phenomenal. See, he's back up to 39.5% from three on the year. So... I want to know this stretch. I haven't really put together the numbers, but if he started 7.7% from three and now he's up to 39.5%, I wonder what that what that stretch has looked like. Probably, probably pretty, pretty damn good. Pretty good. Pretty damn good. And I never thought 
at any point during the year that I'd say this, but I'm going to say it. Jacob Gilliard. Welcome to Gilliard Island, Gabe. <laughs> Welcome. Gilliard. We built it last week. It's new. Our five, we have a lot of property. Talking about a five foot eight, 160 pound second year guy or, 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 or whatever. He's been with the hustle for years. He's 25 years old. He's made a very meaningful difference for this team. And I think in particular, I'm not going to look at anybody else besides Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart does not have to handle the load of handling the ball, being the first primary ball, ball handler down the court every single time down the floor. Jacob Gilliard has definitely lifted a lot off his shoulders. So Marcus Smart can actually go back to being Marcus Smart. Now, do, do I think that Jacob Gilliard, if you keep the start, keep starting him, he may have a couple of flops. He may not be as good going for. I mean, he's just he's dealing with a uh, with a, a tough skill set. He's short. He's just you know he he doesn't have a whole lot at his disposal when it comes to attributes and weapons. But he's game. got heart, and he he's doesn't he doesn't turn the ball over very much. Um, you know, he's the he's the. Aldi version of Tyus Jones for this particular bunch of yeah, I saw guys. somebody say it's Tyus I mean, in a dryer. Yeah, but that's that's sort of what he is at this moment, and it has helped Marcus Smart sort of unlock what he needs to unlock. He was plus sixteen in that game against the Clippers. I never thought we'd be here at any point in the season, but Jacob Gilliard in the starting lineup has been a very meaningful, impactful difference. He that's is, insane. To he's me, been though. making that's insane. that does that is indicative of the times and the injuries you're dealing with at the moment. Though. Absolutely. Um, he has made the most of his opportunity. I mean, I, I tweeted it out during the the Heat game when I was there, and I said Jacob Gilliard, win or lose, is making a huge impact on this game, and we've seen that trend continue. He's helped stabilize the offense. It flows much better with him in there. Do you lose something on the defensive end with him in there? Of sure, course. but he does hustle and he tries to make, you know, he had three steals. You know, he had three steals right. against the Clippers, so he's still making plays. He gets beat every once in a while, but he makes up for it with hustle and he knocks down the threes when you throw it to him. He gets the assist. He just gets the ball flowing. He allows Desmond Bain to be off ball. He allows Marcus Smart to be an agent of chaos a little bit more. Bismack Biombo and Jacob Gilliard yes. have been huge for this team. Huge. They're 2-2 two and two in the last four. What a wild and you can look statement. at the two of them and say, hey, it's their impact. And then Santi Aldama had a better game. He was four for eight, 21 minutes, very productive. Luke Kennard knocking down those threes again. He's eight for 15 in his last two games. You love to see that. The trend is probably better than that since you talked about the percentages. You just got to start giving credit where credit's due. These guys are stepping up when they need to. It's a, still ugly. It's not pretty. Yeah, no, it's not pretty and, watching and these games, know, again, but they've still, looked better the last four I'll still games. stand by this. I don't know how many wins there are out there for no, the taking. I'm like, still I mean, worried about still that. at Lakers. At Spurs, who are playing better this year with Victor Wembanyama, Celtics at Rockets, who've won six games in a row. Suns, Timberwolves, who Sang are phenomenal good, right now, and then Jazz again to end the year. And you're already zero two against. Jazz. I don't know where the wins are out there, but there's definitely something a little bit different about this team uh, that you saw over the weekend. Um, and I think Jacob Gilliard, weirdly enough, has been a big part of that. Of course, Bismack Biombo as well in that game against Clippers. He was. He was tremendous. He was, I think he was, was he team high and plus minus team high plus 20? Yeah. 13, 12, three assists, five for six from the field. It was a Steven um, Adams line. And then he had a steal, two blocks. He was, he was all over the place. He was all Did over the place. Did you see the photo of him but immediately how, how fall asleep? Wild, like, Connor, just think about this. How wild of a statement, though, is it? I mean, if we were in the offseason saying that Jacob Gilliard and Bismack Biombo were going to be a big reason that this team won a ball game before the year, You'd have had the. I mean, that's ins- that was that's an insane statement. You know what I would have said? That's what are ins- they two and eight? That's an insane <laughs> statement. Yeah. That's an absolutely insane. statement. It is. It's it is. But uh, you know, I'm happy they're there. I'm certainly happy they're there. They've looked they've looked better the last four games. They're two and two. Hopefully, they can continue this trend. There's still a lot of problems. They still gave up a lot of threes. Yes. I will also say thank you to James Harden. He Yo, with us. I was going to say, us. yeah, James. What a James, oh my god, James Harden. Good lord, it's been a disaster. Good lord. This is terrible. He was minus, what, 28 versus the Grizz? Dude, he, you know he They're 0-4 when James Harden plays a game as a Los Angeles Clipper. He has not taken a shot in the restricted area in four games. <laughs> I, I, this he's is, a team worse, minus I, 67. I, yeah, he's minus I, I hate to say it. I definitely thought this was a possibility when they made the trade. Too many ball-dominant guys, really tough to get everybody their shots. James Harden's a negative on the defensive end, and he's not going to be at the forefront having the ball every time down the floor like he has been in most of his situations in his NBA career outside of the Thunder. But with the Rockets and the 76ers, he was on ball consistently. 
And then you look at the 76ers, they're substantially better without him. Maxi dropped they're at the 50 top of the East, yesterday. Tyrese Maxi <laughs> dropped 50. Just coming off a 50 burger. So, I don't know, man. Clippers may have made a disgusting mistake. I mean, it's I mean, and Kawhi's already talking about. He's in a presser yesterday. He was already pissed off about it, talking about how the systems. He said, coming into the season, everybody knew their roles. We knew where everybody was going to be, and we, they lost a lot of their defensive ability with the guys that they sent off. They weren't amazing players that they sent off, but they were guys that hustled and did it on the defensive end. And Kawhi was and talking about we have. And Kawhi was saying the four of us have to do all that stuff now that we used to not have to do. They were able to focus on the offensive end, put up points, do their thing. Now they've got to play more defense, they've got to distribute the basketball more, and they have to score on top of it. It's If you look at their numbers across the board, they've gotten worse. I don't. It's, it, I think when they made the trade, all of us were like, I'm not sure why they're making this trade. They have the team that could probably contend already. Health. It felt like, I mean. Long as health. I mean, they lost their depth, though. Yeah, they lost they did. Their, they and lost they, and, depth. And they added, they added someone who took away, he takes away defensively, and he also takes away opportunities for those three guys you already had on your roster offensively. It's just the ball. It was always going to be a strange fit, but it this stops. is this has gone. It, it's gone. I, I'll say this: it's gone worse than I imagined. But I did think there was a a realistic opportunity this was going to go bad. Here's how bad it is: the Clippers fans are like, let Russell Westbrook play more. <laughs> He was having a good season. Yeah. Russ was having a good season. Then you added somebody that he hates <laughs> and takes the ball out of his hands. I mean, in the game yesterday, at the end of the game, they decided to roll with James Harden over Russell Westbrook, and that's a mistake. It's just a mistake. You've, Harden doesn't have it right now. He's out of shape. He doesn't, give a, he doesn't care out there, does not try on defense, and when the ball gets to him on the offensive end, he stops. I mean, there was that sequence yesterday when he was wiping his shoes off air ball yep. to three and then got swatted by Bismack, and there's like two guys open right next to him. What are you doing? Ridiculous. But yeah. thank you for the win. Thank you. Airballed a three and then tried to go test Bismack at the at the rim. As somebody was defending him. Probably swing it. Yeah. Probably he was like, oh, it. I'm going to yeah. take on this double team. And, and I, he does not give himself credit. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.